Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I want to invite you to find a Bible, either one you've brought with you or one near you. Pew Bibles are are, uh, dotted around the building. And turn to Ephesians chapter 5 for our Bible reading. We're returning to Ephesians after a short break. And we come to chapter 5. Love, light, and wisdom. Love, light, and wisdom. Those are going to be our themes for the next few Sunday mornings. We're going to sing after our reading this morning a beautiful version of Psalm 139 that Peter Dixon wrote years ago that takes us into God's light and who God is for us. So I'm going to read God's word first of all. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read down to verse 21, but we're probably only going to cover really the first three or four verses this morning. We'll we'll keep coming back to this passage uh, for the next few weeks, but it might help just to get a a feel for the whole this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. There's the children's address this morning. Copy God, look like him, be like him as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all purity, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Amen. Well, let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. It will help you to have that open in front of you as we look at it together. I wonder if you've ever said something like this, I just want to know God's will for my life. Have you ever said that, wondered that? I just want to know God's will for my life. Friend, if you've ever said that, these next sermons are for you. Which is all of us, right? Isn't it? We've all said that in one way or another. Should I marry him? Should I leave this job and do that one instead? Which university should I go to if I have the opportunity? What career should I embark on? The Apostle Paul wants us to know, by the time we get to the end of the letter to the Ephesians, he wants us to know, by the time we close it and finish our time in it together, that we do not have to wonder what God's will is for our lives. I want to tell you today what God's will is for you. You don't have to question it, at least not in the way that you might have asked that question up to now. Several years ago, uh, in our house groups, some of us worked through this book by Jen Wilkin, an American author. She wrote this lovely book called In His Image, Ten Ways God Calls Us to Reflect His Character. Listen to what she says. God does not hide his will from his children. As an earthly parent, I do not tell my kids, boys and girls, there is a way to please me. Let's see if you can figure out what it is. No, if I do not conceal my will from my earthly children, how much more our Heavenly Father? God's will does not need discovering. It is there in plain sight. To see it, we need to start asking the question that deals with God's primary concern. Here's what she says. We need to ask instead, who should I be? Who should I be? We ask God's will question, what should I do? But God says, here's who you should be. Did you notice, friends, chapter 5, verse 1, the second word of our passage this morning. There is a B word in our passage. It is right there in front of us, right at the start. Here is who you should be this morning. Be imitators of God. Friends, this morning God's word is saying to us, showing us that the the hope of the gospel and the great glorious truth of what God is doing in the world, that's what Ephesians is all about. What is God doing in the world on a grand scale? Here is the answer. He is transforming us into who we should have been all along. Do you remember it in chapter 4, verse 24? It's okay to have forgotten it. It's quite a while since we were in Ephesians and looked at it. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. Here is what God wants for us to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, what is God's will for you, for my life today, that we would put on Christ, that that we would dress ourselves in the Lord Jesus, put him on as our new self and look like him, walk like him, talk like him, dress like him, be like him. 
And so we're coming today to the final section of the letter, chapter 5 onwards. And in the verses that I read for us, we are given three marching orders. Did you notice them? Verse 2, walk in love. Verse 8, walk in light. Verse 15, walk in wisdom. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Friends, wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be amazing? That that word walk is a metaphor for for living. It, it, It means live in love, live in light, live in wisdom. Move Move forward in life with those three things on you, all around you. And so today I just want to focus on the first one, walk in love, the opening verses of the chapter. I want to give you, the, I want to give you this morning the beautiful big idea of the whole passage. And then I want to give you two surprises in the opening verses. And in the, in the two surprises, I simply want to show you my wrestling with Ephesians chapter 5. I want to take you back in time to about Wednesday in my study when my, my head was sore and I was scratching my head, looking at it, wondering how this works. I want, I want to show you what I wrestled with and what I found surprising here. You're going to do some of the hard work with me on it this morning. But here's number one, the beautiful big idea. The beautiful big idea. And here it is. God is fixing the world by making imitators of God in the world. God is fixing the world by making imitators of Him in the world. Copiers, mimics, impersonators, copycats. See, here's the big idea of of this passage. There are some things in God you can copy and there are some things you can't. I wonder if you know that this morning. There are some things you can copy and there are some things you can't. And getting those two things the right way round is at the very heart of our sanctification, our growth in holiness and godliness. What is God doing in the world? He has put his image in the world. The Lord Jesus, he's sent Jesus into the world. Do you remember chapter 2 of Ephesians? He is creating a new humanity in the Lord Jesus, taking Jew and Gentile who hated each other and bringing them together in Christ. God has put his image in the world and he says to us, if you look at the Lord Jesus, you will see me. If you look at him, you will see me. And so if you look like him, you will look like me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Here is God's master plan. He he is piecing back together his broken world in Jesus, his son. And as we wait for that day when one day every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess that he is Lord As we wait for that day, we're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs. No, we're to live until that day copying him, imitating him. See, there are ways you can imitate God and there are ways you can't imitate God. God has attributes that he can communicate to us, which we can copy. So God is holy. God is loving, good, just, merciful, patient, gracious, faithful, truthful, wise. Theologians down through the years have said those are God's communicable attributes. They're, They're what he shares with us, communicates to us, so that we can be those things too. 
You can imitate him in all those things. But God also has attributes which he cannot communicate to us, which he does not share with us, which we cannot copy. God is infinite. God is incomprehensible. God is self-existent. He is eternal. He is unchanging. He is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's sovereign. And only God can be those things. Those are what theologians call his incommunicable attributes. Now friends, just before you think we're getting lost in the ether this morning, here's the thing. Most of your misery in life is found in your trying to copy the wrong things in God. Getting those two things the wrong way round. Most of our misery comes from copying the wrong set of attributes. Think about it. Are, are you exhausted all the time? Maybe you're trying to be omnipresent, like only God can be. You're trying to be in all places at all times, all things to all people, and you're burning yourself out in life by trying to be like him in ways you can't. It is possible this morning that the anxiety that you're living with, it's possible that it is because you wish you were omniscient like God, knowing everything. And it frustrates you that there are things you cannot control or answer. Maybe you're anxious because you wish you were omnipotent, all-powerful. When we strive to be like God in any one of his incommunicable attributes, we set ourselves up as his rival. And in fact, the Bible calls it idolatry. It's what sin is, isn't it? Trying to be like God in all the wrong ways. What did Adam and Eve get wrong in the garden? They wanted to know what only God could know and to have what only God could have. But... But, brothers and sisters, this morning, true happiness, deep contentment, beauty, holiness, joy, godliness, those things are found in God's communicable attributes, imitating him in all the ways that we can imitate him. The message of the Bible in many ways from start to end is stop trying to be like God in the ways that only God can be and be like him instead in all the ways that we can be. You can copy the infinite, eternal, ever-living, all-glorious God. You can copy him. What's, what's the language in chapter 5, verse 1? Well, as beloved children. And as beloved children, verse 2, you can copy him in his love. In his love. The most supreme, the most sublime, the most perfect example of the love of God is not an idea in a theology textbook to read about or to get your head around. The most sublime, perfect example of the love of God, verse 2, is a person to learn from. What does the text say? As Christ loved us. You, you, you don't have to make this up this morning. What, what does it mean to walk in love? You don't have to go away and invent it. Look, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That, that, that little phrase, be, be imitators as beloved children. It's, it's the key to it, isn't it? You don't have to teach children to imitate their parents, do you? They, they just do. 
Children are born looking like them, and then they grow up to imitate them. I'm sorry, children, it's what happens. You, you, you get the same mannerisms, you get the same habits. In, in our family, our children don't just imitate mum and dad, but they imitate the grandparents. That's a special treat after they've been with the grandparents for a weekend. And as they replay what grandparents are like, I sit there thinking, goodness, that's what I'm like, that's what I'm becoming. And then our children in all their pristine glory and all their thinking they're so different, what happens to them? They simply become like us over time. You you meet folks like that, don't you? You meet them and then a few months later, a few weeks later, you meet their parents. And you think, ah, I get it now. I remember years ago in in a football team that I coached, we had one child in the football team, hands down the best player in the team by a country mile, a wonderful Wonderful footballer as a young kid. Had all, all the talent in the world. And this young kid was difficult, moody, stubborn, angular, unresponsive. And, and we wrestled with him all year long. And then at the end of the year, we thought as coaches, we would have a fun night. Let's get the dads to come along, the parents, mums and dads together. Come and let's play football together, boys against dads at the end of the year. A fun evening. Put all the boys in the pitch, all the dads in the pitch. We said, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to play like this. And before we could blow the whistle to start, the difficult kid's dad said, I'm not doing that. I, I, I'm not playing like that. We don't want to play like that. That's not how we do it here. Turned to all the dads and said, that's not what, what, what we want to do, is it? With all the dads, you know, awkwardly looking at their feet. Quite, quite happy to do what we were meant to be doing. You, you just think, don't you... I I get it now, like father, like son. Here's where it comes from. Here's why we've been struggling with this all year long, because he is like you. I wonder if that's what people say about me. Ah, David, yes, he is so like his heavenly father. So like him. You know, Christian, today you, you have a new role model because you are God's child. He is your heavenly Father. That's the implication, isn't it, of verse 1. So so be like him, look like him. Look at chapter 4, verse 24 again. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How does he want you to be like him? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know you belong to Jesus, friends. You know you belong to Jesus when you love others by giving yourself up for them. And when your life smells like his beautiful sacrifice smelt to his Father. Strange language, isn't it? He gave himself up a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What did the Lord Jesus say when he entered the world? Here I am to his Father. I have come to do your will. Here I am, I have come to do your will. And his self-offering of his body as he took to himself human nature, as the, the eternal Son of the Father joined himself to a tiny embryo and he entered the darkness and the smallness and the weakness of a woman's womb. And he began his downward humiliation all the way through his life as he first 
sheds his sacrificial blood and his circumcision. Then he lives his life being an outcast, and an embarrassment, a reject. All the way to the cross as he dies, abandoned and alone. And as he does that, what does his father say about him? This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. For he offers his life to his father, doesn't he? On the cross he offers his life for his people. And as he offers his life, his father says, I am pleased. Yes, this smells beautiful. This is right. The head is dying for the body. The the shepherd is laying down his life for the sheep. The bridegroom is laying down his life for his bride. Yes, says the father, the, the aroma, the fragrance of that is beautiful. Friends, do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Copy that. Copy that. Walk, walk in that. Live like that. Love as Christ loved us. Can, can I put it like this, friends? It doesn't really, doesn't really matter where you work. It does, of course. I know it does. This job might be better than, than that. Of course, the Bible says, yes, where you work matters, but where you work, are you the kind of person who is laying down your life where you work? doesn't really matter who you marry. Now, of course it matters who you marry. Uh, Three things only matter when you're thinking about who should you marry. Do you love them? Are they the opposite sex? Are they a Christian? Those are the three things you need. But here's the big question. Are you the right person for someone? Never mind, are they the right person for you? Are you the kind of person that the person you marry is going to wake up and discover that they're now joined to somebody who gives their life away for others? Or will you be the kind of person one day somebody marries and discovers, I've married someone who lives for self? Be the kind of person... Chapter 5, verse 2, like the Lord Jesus who spends the best that he is on others and gives to others. John Calvin says about chapter 5, verse 2, it means this, Jesus Christ forgot himself. He forgot himself and had no regard for his person. That is God's will for your life. So I want to give us now two surprises to wrestle with, okay? I want you you to wrestle with them, wrestle with with, with me here. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. We've just looked at it. Gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What are you expecting next? What would you expect verse 3 to say? I I mean, what would you expect me to give you as an application this morning? If I'm saying to you, look, Trinity Church, we need to imitate God. We need to copy Jesus. We need to give ourselves up for others. So here's what that looks like. What might you expect next? I don't know. Join the welcome team. Serve in church. Think about where you're sacrificing in relationships. Is your love for others costly? What does Paul do, verse 3? But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among among the saints. 
Do you see the surprise of that? Walk in love. Here's what that looks like. Do not even entertain in speech sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness among you. Now, maybe that seems obvious to you. It's a natural flow. But for many of us reading that as we look at it, here's the question. Why move from a positive command to love like God loves and Jesus loves? Why move straight away to talking about the wrong kind of sexual activity? The wrong kind of sexual speech? I don't think a negative command about sex is where most of us would go to think about Christ-like love immediately afterwards. So here's what I think is happening. Here's where I got to in my wrestling. Here is, here is a beautiful help for us. Just look at those three things in verse 3. Don't we need help with them? Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. We need help with them, don't we? We're drowning in a porn pandemic, aren't we? Culturally, societally, it is not an epidemic. It is a pandemic. It is everywhere, nearly on every screen at every hand. It's a problem for all of us, but certainly a problem for many of us men. We, we, we need help, don't we? Look what Paul is doing for us here, friends, men and women together. We are God's beloved children. And what God is doing for his family is he's, he, he's getting beneath the surface of our sins. And he's diagnosing the root cause of it and the heart of it. Do, do you know what the essence of sexual sin is in all its forms? That, that, that word immorality here, it, it means any kind of sexual relationship with somebody that you are not married to. The, the essence of sexual immorality is that it is taking, not giving. It, it, it is getting, not giving. It, it is taking from someone what is not yours to take, rather than a giving of yourself up for them. That, that, that's why covetousness is included here in the list. Instead of self-giving love, it is self-indulgent lust. See, those things in verse 3, they are the ultimate forms of selfishness, aren't they? Not selflessness. Verse 2 is the ultimate example of selflessness. Those things in verse 3, the ultimate example of selfishness. Instead of laying down my life for your good, I'm going to use you for my ends. It's the terrible irony of pornography, isn't it? And the mess and the the emptiness of using pornography, that those who give themselves to it actually retreat from real people. They don't move towards real people in self-giving love. Porn actors have sex, but they are not lovers. Porn users have sexual experiences, but they do not have loving experiences. And so I want to say, friends, this morning that, that, that where sexual immorality is present in our hearts, in our, in our homes, our phones, our devices, where it is present, the battle is not primarily lust, although lust is part of it. No, the battle is love. Love. Never mind trying to lay down my life with a sexual desire. I will never do that if I'm not laying down my life in any other area. If I've never said to somebody, 
No, your way, not mine. Your choice, not mine. If I've never said that, then no wonder we cannot say to the woman on the screen, what might it look like to love you as Christ loved me instead of taking from you? You know, it's why I think sexual sins can predominate among men. They don't have to predominate, of course, but they, they usually do. And it's not simply because of a higher sex drive or whatever the biological reasons might be, whatever all those things in the mix are. I want to say that another angle that, that men's sexual sins can be more pronounced, more prevalent, is because our selfishness sins can be more pronounced, more prevalent. Women, on the whole, tend to love better tend to love quicker, tend tend to give themselves away to others. It it can, not always, of course, all the caveats on both sides of this, I want to be clear, but it can be a more innately female trait to give yourself away to others. I want to say, men, today, we will fight sexual sin better by laying down our lives better. By, well, what does Paul say, verse 2, by copying the Lord Jesus more. So so stay with me as we finish here. One more thing to wrestle with. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now look at that again, that, that, that list of things that there shouldn't be filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking, what, what would you choose to replace them with? Get rid of those things, Paul says, and put what in their place? What should fill the vacuum? See, just look at it again. If I was writing verse 4, I would say, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, but instead of those things, instead of filthy talk, filthiness, have purity. Instead of foolish talk, have wise talk. Instead of crude joking, have wholesome joking. It's not what Paul says. You know what Paul says? Do you know why we have a problem with lust? Because we are not thankful. Isn't that astonishing? Verse 4. Let those things not be here. Instead, be thankful. Do you know why we often sin in our speech about sex? Because we are not grateful. We are not grateful people. Is that what you would say? It's strange, isn't it? I I thought it was strange to, to have thanksgiving put in the place of those things. John Stott in his commentary says, In itself, thanksgiving is not an obvious substitute for, for vulgarity. So, so why is it here? What is going on here? So I wrestled with this on Thursday, I consulted commentaries, I scratched my head, and I did what all good pastors and theologians do at that point. I asked Twitter. My friends on Twitter. Here's what a commentator says, first of all, about verse 4. Now listen to this, it's it's excellent, but then, then Twitter will help us. Here's what a commentator says. Sexual impurity and covetousness both express self-centered acquiring. 
Okay, that's what's going on here. Sexual impurity and covetousness both express self-centered acquiring. In other words, how can I use you for my ends? But thanksgiving is the exact opposite. It recognizes God's generosity and so it is the antidote. Okay, now, as good as that is, to me that remained just a little bit out of reach. So here's how my friends on Twitter, when I asked, put that in a much clearer way. Somebody replied saying this. Any time we say, thank you, Jesus, for X. Thank you, Jesus, for A, B, C, whatever it is. Any time we say, thank you, Jesus, for that thing, it is, it is a powerful weapon in the fight against any sin and for joy in Jesus. It's the benefit of Twitter, isn't it? That's helpful. Thank you, Jesus, for this particular thing thing that is a powerful weapon in the fight against sin and for joy in Jesus somebody else said maybe Paul wrote verse 4 because lust is a kind of greed it's what happens if you look at verse 5 lust is a kind of greed and sometimes the best admonition against lust is don't be greedy don't be greedy Somebody else said, lack of thankfulness was Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. That is the primary thing they got wrong. They were not thankful to God. Remember that famous quote, I think I've given it to us many times over the years, that that the nerve that the serpent touched in paradise was to make even paradise appear an insult. That's what Adam and Eve got wrong. This, God, this is all you're giving us? This is as good as it gets? Lack of thankfulness was Adam and Eve's sin. Instead of thanking God for what they had, they desired what they didn't need to have. You know, friends, it is very hard to use someone or to abuse someone or to lust after someone if you stop and thank God for that someone. It is very hard to use or abuse or lust if you stop and thank God instead for that person. Then that's it, isn't it? It's very hard to objectify that woman or to use that woman sinfully in my mind. If instead of doing that or speaking crudely about her, I stop and thank God for her. A woman, a person who God has put in the world to image him, not there to be used by me. Friends, it is a way of living, chapter 5 verse 4 is a way of living which, which says that this world in which we live is a wonder and a marvel of God's goodness. It is not a mere list of things that I can just keep taking and harvesting and using for my own ends, however I like. Do you remember, do you remember the famous words of G.K. Chesterton? He said to Christians, he said, you say grace before you eat, before meals. All right, very good. But I say grace before I go to the concert and the opera. I say grace before the play and the pantomime. I say grace before I even open a book. I say grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing. I say grace before I dip my pen in the ink. Oh, friends, do you see it here in front of us? Jesus loved us by offering up his whole life to God as an offering an offering of thanksgiving. He loved his heavenly Father. In his prayers, he thanked the Father for all that he had given. Friend, can you thank God for that link as you prepare to click on it?
can you thank him for it? Can you thank God for that social media app as you scroll through it? Can you thank him out loud for it in front of others for what you're seeing? If you cannot thank God for it, we should not be watching it, saying it, speaking it, sharing it, consuming it. Sinclair Ferguson says, ask how I can be thankful about this and you will have the first step towards a purer life. What is God's will for my life, for for Trinity's life, for our shared life together? What is God's will that we walk in love by laying down our lives for each other, by being lifelong givers to each other, not selfish takers? Oh, so may it be. May God help us. Amen.